0: Supporters are listening to it for a story that touches their heart and speaks to their mind and calls them to act. So it's it's a matter of listening and understanding and being engaging to the audience and, tell, and inviting them into a story that they can relate to instead of the organization telling their story.
1: From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On today's episode, I'm joined by Brian Soy. He's the president of Aspire.com, the branding and marketing agency that helps people build relationship brands that inspire people to listen, care, and act. Brian is an experienced marketer and storyteller and helps nonprofits really clarify their message to ensure that it resonates with today's donor. And that's exactly what we talk about during our conversation. So let's dive in. You've worked at the intersection of marketing and design and really like mission focused work for 30 plus years now. Uh, what sparked your path to these disciplines collision?
0: Well, you know, first as a designer, I'm, I'm, so my, you know, my background is as a design professional, I own a marketing and branding agency, but I'm just really intensely curious about everything. Mm. And I look at the world through the um, lens of what many listeners may now know as design thinking. And it's the way I was trained. It's solve, you know, where's there a problem and how can we use design to solve it? So that then you know lead, leaves me feeling like, hey, you know, design can pretty much solve any problem. So let's look at um, let's look at marketing from a design perspective. And then this idea of being mission focused. And um, you know, if we're if any leader or any organization is is moving forward without a clear and distinct mission, or purpose they're, they're going to drift, and you know, life is really too short to spend drifting. We need to know where we're going and uh, define where we're going to be going, lay out the path that we're going to get there so we can actually create some impact and create some results and, and that applies it applies to any type of organization.
1: And, you know, we're, we're recording this at the beginning of a new year and you use the word drift. And I think what's interesting about that is it's common at the beginning of the year to be very laser focused or kind of recharged towards a focus. However, as the year progresses, we kind of drift away. Um, and because you mentioned that, I'm curious, how do you prevent drift? How do you, you know, as a leader listening to this, like, how do I make sure I maintain that focus? That's a that's a great
0: question, and there's one principle that keeps coming up again and again in in the work I do, and I tend to work with C-suite executives and executive directors, and they'll say they'll ask something similar or say something like, "I've got so many things I could be doing, and I need to be, and and I know I need to be focused on the ones that are going to move our mission forward or my goals forward." And so I say, well, that means you need to eliminate possibilities because everything's possible. So eliminate possibilities in order to focus on life-changing opportunities. And that's just been something that's resonated for mm. the past couple of years with me. It's just, that's how we do that. And then when you start to do that, you know, of course, we all talk about setting goals, but do we actually sit down and do it? Can we... You know, it's, it's not difficult to sit down and say, all right, I'm going to do a one-year goal plan and have a three-month goal, a six-month goal, and a nine-month goal. But what if we start thinking even farther out, five-year, 10-year, and what, what will my business or organization look like in 10 years? What's it going to look like beyond me uh, to build a, an organization or a business that lasts? Um, I'm excited. Just personally, this year, I've set a 10-year strategy. For certain parts of my business, which is the first time I've done it that far out, but it's really energized me and it's helped me focus on the things I'm doing both now, which I would consider to be daily decisions, and then what are the defining decisions that help me think really long term.
1: I love how you differentiated between like the daily decisions and the defining decisions because I do think there's there's a high level of competition for anyone any especially in a leadership role or someone that's doing, you know, fundraising work like many of our listeners and that competition for attention can push us to say, you know, well we don't have time to think that long term or to get focused so much in the big term that you miss out on those daily practices. So could you provide some I guess distinction between the, uh, the two for our listeners and how you really decide those or how, how are those framed and kept top of mind? Sure. So, you know, so
0: if you've set up for yourself, let's just say a one-year goal, um, you know, what are you going to, so a one-year goal is a defining decision. In one year, if it's a fundraising goal, we're going to increase fundraising by 20%. Well, then starting today and then every week after that, you need to start doing a set of daily decisions that drive you toward that goal. And it could be a matter of, well, we're starting here and we have a spreadsheet and that's how we've been doing our fundraising. But in order to maximize our efforts to get to that goal and track the relationships that we're forming, for instance, and we're going to need to put in place a CRM Seems to be you know, a tool then that can help them maximize um, their time, which again, that's a daily decision. How do, I, how do I take the, let's even just say, minimum six hours a day that I'm going to have to apply to the work I do to make the most use of that time? And what are the things that I can put in place now that at the end of the year I can look back and say, that saved me 15 hours worth of work? That I applied to something else. I I think if you make that an intentional practice every day, just those little types of things, those add up. It's it's incremental actions and activities over time that create results long term.
1: Absolutely, and I think the the critique that I find um, a lot about these types of goals is the kind of gosh, almost like the enormity of the now and kind of the lack of being able to kind of disconnect from that and kind of practice those daily things so that you can achieve something later. And I think we live in a world where like, you know, now is almost the only thing. It feels like that sometimes where it's like, oh, we have to do this or we have to do this now or if we don't do this, we'll miss out. And so being able to disconnect from that and kind of look long-term as a key uh, principle that leaders should be following. But honestly, it's just really hard to do in the day to day.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I can't say that I just sat down and said, Oh, you know, here's two 10, 10 year goals that I've got that I'm going to work toward. Those are the result of six months of work and planning Hmm. and putting things in place. And it couldn't all happen at once. Um, i spent two months working on one project that informed one of the ten-year goals at the same time about eight weeks into that started working on one of the other ones and you know there's always those kind of long-term things you know so i'm wor- i'm working on a book that i hope to release in 2021 but i started working on it last year because i know it's one of those side projects it's not i'm not getting paid to do it it's just part of creating some thought leadership. But if I don't start doing it a little bit at a time and being intentional with what I want to accomplish in it, so I have to have that end in mind first, like the book's about build uh, the fact that everybody brands and that we're all telling stories about the causes and companies we, we believe in. If I don't start talking to the right people about that now, I'll get to the end of 2020 and realize... I'm never going to get this book done in 2021. So but it's it's it is definitely it's an interplay between those daily decisions and how they affect the long-term defining decisions that help us move
1: the big picture ahead or toward the big picture. I agree, and I think we've talked a lot about planning, but um and kind of how you look at that from, you know, a long-term and a short-term view. But we are in a new year, and ultimately, it comes down to kind of carving out practices that you should do on a regular basis. So, as you're working, you know, as you do alongside nonprofits or fundraising leaders in the C suite, what are you advising they focus on now beyond kind of looking at that long term and short term planning? What are some key decisions that they should be thinking through as they wade through 2020?
0: So a, a lot of the leaders are still looking at you know they're they're doing both they're looking at the short term they're looking at the long term um, you know the practical things they're looking at is many times their their communications with their supporters and if they're doing those effectively and and a lot of times it comes back around to I know something we're going to talk a little bit about is you know story but at the the core of that is they don't have clarity and and so. Asking them to just step back and be really clear on who they are, who you know, who the organization is, why it matters, the difference it's, it's going to make in the world. That becomes an anchor, then, that then gives them the next steps they're going to make. I mean, I'm, and I'm sure you see this. People are making practical decisions um, every day. What t- you know, what digital tool should I use? Um, and, and but at the same time, those things start to bog them down in details that maybe they, sh- they shouldn't be focused on. They should, again, be focused on, this is the vision of, the, of where I want to take the organization. Then they, have to ask, they should be asking themselves, am I the person who should be implementing these steps to get us there, or do I break this, say, it takes six steps? I'll handle steps one and two but I need people alongside me to do steps four through six or pieces elements four through six in order to get us there. And I don't know that enough leaders do that. And Mm -hmm. we we can see leaders who they want to be involved in every aspect of the organization, even when it gets to be 25, 30 plus um, people, um, depending on Mm -hmm. the type of nonprofit it is, or if it's a foundation or or, you know, and we've experienced this too. There's you know leaders who just aren't engaged at all. Like they're there, but their staff saying, you know we're we're hungry for vision, we're hungry for direction. please give us give it to us. Mm-hmm. so we know which direction. so we know what you want, we know which direction we should be in which we should be following you.
1: Yeah, and this this kind of resurfaces a, um, a few ideas that I was talking with uh, T, T. Clay Buck um, on a prior episode about where there's kind of this element um, like of first principles. And what we define those as is really kind of this idea of purpose, which you're talking about. Like, what is the purpose of our organization? What are we doing? What do we exist to do? Um, And then the second one was people like who are the supporters who are the staff that we have who are the stakeholders involved in this and the third was uh, the processes or kind of um, in some cases like the systems that we're going to do to actually connect those things to mobilize those individuals or people to actually accomplish the purpose and I think that's a lot of what you're talking about now like how do we step back and actually look at those three areas And kind of evaluate as a leader, um, you know, and get clarity on those. Yeah. So you said purpose,
0: people, and process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and if you think about the, the, there's usually four Ps there. The third one's product. So Mm -hmm. what, you know, what are we actually trying to accomplish? What's the product of all this work? You know, what are the outcomes that people expect us to deliver? And are we doing that? That's that's Mm -hmm. part of that too
1: absolutely and i know for a lot of people listening to this you know that's going to relate to some level of fundraising or raising that you know that's that's who's listening to this mm-hmm. um, and i think that one part of purpose and even kind of the product a key part of that is kind of what you referred to earlier um in the form of story and and we've all known that like story is a powerful tool to well socialized as it relates to fundraising before we get in kind of talking about like how and how do we do that, I believe it's important again to clarify the why here. And so you mentioned story before, but why is story such a powerful tool in fundraising based on your experience? Really, it's how we make sense
0: of the world. And I think story and brand are inextricably linked. And from an organizational perspective, Brand is a really valuable trust asset. So, stories. It, it's important to, to be able to invite people into the right story because they're telling themselves stories about the things they buy, the values that matter to them, the people in our organizations they trust and want to support, um, and, and and even more closely in the context of our conversation, you know what causes they support, and it's important because a lot of times organizations tend to think we've got a problem. We can't raise funds because we're not doing enough marketing or mm-hmm. our communications aren't good. That's the wrong problem. And so they end up spending a lot of time and money to try to solve a marketing problem. When the real problem is they have, or they have a messaging problem. So they're telling it, they're telling their story and Supporters are listening to it for a story that touches their heart and speaks to their mind and calls them to act. So it's, it's a matter of listening and understanding and being engaging to the audience and, tell, and inviting them into a story that they can relate to instead of the organization telling their story. That's, the, that's why it's so important.
1: No, and I think you're absolutely right. And I think what's interesting is, as you mentioned, we assume the challenges in our funding structures or our fundraising goals is that people don't care or we don't have enough people or we haven't reached the right people or we haven't met the right people. And what you're saying is that that's important. But what, what are you actually telling people? How are you defining the story that you're inviting people to be a part of? And I think the challenge is, is that amplification and kind of distribution, especially today, is easier to come by, whether it's effective or not, but it's an easier task to focus on. We're really clarifying your story and really integrating that into your fundraising you know, doing that well is really tough to do. And you have a lot of experience with this. So I'd love for you to kind of share like some of the key ingredients of story because we we kind of talked about why it's important and how organizations struggle to do that. But like, again, let's get practical. Like, how, what do you do? How do you craft your story? How should nonprofits really weave that into their fundraising? What does that look like?
0: Right, and that's a great question because, you know, there, there are so many different models of, storytelling and you can you can probably go to 10 conferences and find 10 or 20 different people who are going to do a session on storytelling and they'll all be different um i think at the core the the elements of a story have to talk about transformation first that you know there's a problem why is there a problem how do we overcome that problem um a lot of times when it comes to telling a simple let's just call it donor story you know it's like before I realized there was this problem. And then I understood that your organization helps us or helps people solve this problem because I really care about that problem. I get involved with you. And now I feel really good about how I'm helping change people's lives through your organization. So that's like a really basic one. But i th- I think the most effective model is based on the story brand framework, and it's a little longer, but it gives you a filter and elements that you can continue to pull from to not only tell your story but more importantly invite people into a story
1: and so let me just run through from a yeah, from... please do i think I think it'd be important to walk through those steps, sure. Um, so
0: you know uh, the whole goal again, is the idea of clarifying the message about the cause and, and why people care, should care about it. Um, and this idea of clarity, it, you know, it seems to, I'd say within the last five years become you know, top of mind for a lot of people. Um, this has been an element of aspire in the work we do for t- almost 25 years now. So it's, it's the, the idea of just telling a clear and compelling story about who you are, what, why you, who you are, what you do, why you matter, and why people should care. And the key ingredients in that are these seven well-documented elements. So first, uh, in in our context, a story starts when a donor, or or maybe let's call him a champion, wants to make a difference in the world. And when when an organization inspires a donor or champion and understands that individual's desire for change, it makes it easier to invite them into the story that the organization wants to tell. And I often talk about appealing to the heart, speaking to the mind, and calling people to act. And so I think at this point, it's a matter of appealing to somebody's heart. Um, you, know, you, you can't go too far in just completely appealing on an emotional level or a rational level, because you know, good stories are made up of both, of both heart and mind. But at, at this point, you know, we get people engaged by telling them something that, that touches their heart. And then next, the fundraiser needs to focus on you know what's the problem or the challenge that the organization works to solve, and how can the donor or champion be part of that solution? So identifying not only the problem that the organization's identified, but does the donor identify that problem in the same way? And, you know, it's, let's just take hunger, for instance, because I've got a long association and, and um, f- appreciation for hunger-related charities. And so, an organization may, you know, a hunger organization, and, um, like a food bank, may be wanting to, you know, in the biggest sense, end hunger. Whereas, the donor may say, you know, I've got grandkids, and I know that a lot of children um, may not have food every day. and and if they do get food and their parents are struggling, the parents may be not eating that day. So, what can I do to ensure that youth and young people can have meals? So you know it starts to narrow that down to being focused on children and hunger versus just hunger in general. So you know that's where facts and figures comes in, but you've engaged the donor's heart, and you can start to speak to their mind and understand what their intent in is and why they're really interested in that broad cause so that's the first two so this idea that you know there's the donor or the champion and they're like the character in the story and they
1: see a problem that
0: they want to
1: be part of a solution to solve and the importance there that i want to highlight is how you've put the supporter in the center of the story not the organization and i think that's a that's a key mistake i see quite often and honestly i've made it myself as I've you know advised and worked in nonprofits is we tend to focus on us as kind of the central spoke or central kind of hub of the story and not the supporter. Absolutely and it's 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 a
0: problem that um people encounter every day. They just you know we like to talk about ourselves. We like to talk, we're proud of our organizations. We're proud of the work we do and it's just easier to launch into you know, here's, here's who we are and how great we are. And that's why you should support us. Um, you can see that happen with a lot of, I think, colleges and universities. Uh, they talk about, you know, here's, here's why we're so, we're so great. Um, you know, you should attend here. And it's like, well, wait a minute, I've got goals and dreams. So talk to me about those and how you can help me achieve those. Um, you know, or even in the donor context there, um, you know, there's just a lot of nuance in that.
1: Yeah, indeed. And I think like when we talk about this in responsive fundraising, this is kind of the key component of the first step, which is listening. And you're not just listening for involvement or interest, but you're looking for, li- listening for that like intent. And I think what you even just described is kind of highlighting that. Like what is the supporter's intent? What are they, you know, curious and excited and maybe impassioned about? And then how are we going to kind of connect our story back into that and bridge the gap between the people and the purpose that we're trying to bridge or the, you know, the supporters and the story? And so what's next? Like once you have those two things, what are some of the other steps that you need as part of your story?
0: So third, the the organization needs, can then step into the story and, as a guide and demonstrate empathy, for the problem, for the donor's desire, for generosity, demonstrate authority that by partnering with the organization, the is going to be able to maximize their impact. They're going to be able to make the difference that they want to make. And then also credibility. So the organization then demonstrates credibility by showing that we've done this before. Um, if if those steps aren't taken, it immediately becomes transactional. And we know that when it's transactional, it, it doesn't really put, I mean, it re- again, it removes the, the, the champion or the supporter from the center of the story. After that, the organization needs to say, here's the plan so that you can create the change that you want to make. So when it comes to working with an organization it could be you know often it's like donate now but there there can often be a transitional call to action like you know attend attend a workshop with us so we can show you what the people that we serve go through every day or you know or something like that but some kind of call to action that gets people engaged a bit more um, or at least participating with the organization in some way cuz you know, we, we look at this idea of a continuum and, and story wo- moves to work people through a continuum where you're attracting them, you're informing them, you're inspiring them, and you're engaging them. And when you get them engaged, then you, you have earned their trust and you can begin to really steward the relationship because it's all along this, it's all about building a relationship, right? Um, if it's simply transactional, it's... It, it, doesn't move beyond that last step
1: absolutely Um, and I think that's what we see so problematic in our you know general benchmarks on donor retention or dissatisfaction with charitable organizations in general from today's donor is based on that transactional posture rather than kind of a transformational posture and I think what you're describing is like how do you actually put kind of you know a cliche but like meat on the bones like when we say what well, is a transformational approach rather than transactional it really kind of is built around story right so so this
0: this plan says if you if you join with us and working to, ch- to change these people's lives or create this type of impact and you take this next step with us right now here's what it would look like and this is where you know so Um, The nonprofit sector talks about outcomes, you know, speaking to outcomes. Then show what positive outcomes will come from, their involvement, but at the same time also hint at what's at stake or what could be lost if they don't make a decision to support the cause. And so those seven elements there where there's a character who has a problem, who has a, a guide who helps them and says, here's the plan that you can follow. If you take this action that will result in success or or some sort of loss if you don't choose, those are those seven elements of story that then create an identity transformation in the supporter because they feel like they've accomplished something by walking through this journey. You know, and historically, it's been called the hero's journey.
1: Yeah, indeed. And could you just for practicality, could you actually like walk us through a story? Uh, Not to put you on the spot, but could you kind of show us what that looks like? Maybe using a hunger charity, for example, like how would a hunger charity adopt this from start to finish? What would that look like?
0: So that's a great question. So let's use an example of a food bank. And food banks do a, a very good job, and you know. If it, let's make a distinction first. A food bank is typically a regional organization that is gathering and collecting food resources to then supply to the pantries and the food pantries in the area. And that's actually that's where people go to get their food is at the food pantries. So the bigger organization, the food banks, are raising m- much greater volumes of of revenue in order to purchase and transport the food. Many so often they're logistics organizations, but they still need to educate. They need to attract people to the idea that there is food insecurity in the nation and that uh, they need to make a connection with a donor who cares about whether um, some sector within society that is most at risk for food insecurity. And typically That tends to be children and then seniors, just statistically. So when they can identify a group of donors and supporters who has that affinity for a child um, who may be going to school hungry, who may be going to sleep at night hungry, or seniors, much like their parents, perhaps, or their grandparents, who may be having to cut short on meals during the day because their income doesn't allow them to get three solid meals a day that creates that connection with here's the character and they want to be able to make a change in either the children's or the seniors lives. And the problem, so they they have to then identify the problem. And the problem is that um, children are are at risk for hunger because often their parents are perhaps um, out of work or just at the end of the month, don't have enough uh, revenue um, savings in the bank or money from their paycheck. So that's an external problem. And what that does is it makes them feel sad internally. And so the organization then says, but we can help. We've, we have a system in place and your donations, we, and we understand that you, you, you love to donate um, canned food for the food drives, but you know, your donation helps us buy five meals for every dollar you donate. So your $1 turns into five meals, and we get to amplify that because of the the, the power of our uh, larger organization. So if you visit our website and, and read a little bit about this family and how donors like you have changed their lives, and then consider, we're going to invite you to consider making a donation. You can change a child's life and let them go to bed with a you know a full stomach or um, not have to depend on food assistance at school. That's
1: a story and how they could work that in.
0: and of course, that's very generalized.
1: yeah, but I think it's helpful to kind of help provide um, some extra coloring on some of those seven elements. And so when you're talking about the supporter, you're going back to the donor, you're not going back to the organization's beneficiary. You know, when you're talking about the problem, you're showcasing the problem in a way that the donor and supporter is going to, you know, relate and resonate with. And then you're driving them through. And I think what's interesting is you're, as part of that story, the organization isn't saying, you know, we know what to do, give us money and we'll go take care of it. You're saying no. Together, we can come together, or we can come and make a difference in individuals' lives that are struggling with that, and almost restore a level, you know, of dignity and confidence, which helps our community flourish. Um, and and kind of tying that all back in on how and inv- making that investment um, actually has a transformational effect, not only in the lives of the person. Not only the supporter, but the community that they're living in, um, and I think that's that's a great example of how that can work. And so, I, I, I we've talked a lot about these elements, and I think these elements are so practical because they can be applied at the organizational level, but also as you get down into like campaigns and programs. But again, I feel like there's kind of this practical thing, you know, going back to the daily versus defining decisions, where it's like. I get it Brian but like how, what do I do I don't disagree but what are the first steps and so I want to get prescriptive and like pragmatic so what are kind of two or three tips or musts that leaders listening to this should do you know even this week as it relates to story and message what would you leave them with Yeah g- great I love I love being practical here too
0: so you know one of the things I always recommend and, and this is just a fabulous resource. There's a book called B- Building a Story Brand that's, you know, $20. And, and you know, it's a, it's a resource that anybody can read and start to understand how to, to integrate the power of story into their organization in a very practical way from a leadership perspective, but also from that day-to-day. And, and we know a, a lot of this comes down to communication. Uh, famous speechwriter named James Hume said, the art of communication is the language of leadership. And that's one of of my guiding mantras when it comes to communication. So if we learn how to communicate better, even from inspiring the staff at the beginning of a week to remember, here's our mission and we're accomplishing this mission because these people need our help and we can't help these people Unless we invite these people into our story, that's one way. Um, Story can be used um, in social media because you know everybody's really focused on how do we use social media to grow our organization and drive donations. But what about simply sitting down and evaluating any this week's social media posts from the perspective of the convers? Do the posts we're making talk about us, or do they address the donor and invite them to be part of the solution? So I think that's a, that's an easy thing to do
1: right there. Absolutely. And so I feel like just to kind of reiterate, it's like learning. And you mentioned the Building the Story Brand book. But those listening to the podcast, there's also a podcast by that same name um, that walks through some of the elements as well. And so if you prefer that, you can search for Building a Story Brand. Um, it's a great resource as well that kind of walks through the elements Um, And then the second thing is just like taking a step back and auditing kind of communications. And whether it is social media or even your emails or your direct mail pieces um, or your end of year appeals, just to kind of evaluate how story is showing up today. Because regardless of whether you think you're sharing a story, I think the lesson we have to walk away with is that you are sharing a story and you may not be aware of that. And so the story isn't something that you've designed in a way that's beneficial to advancing the purpose of your organization, but you are telling a story. And so auditing to find out what story you're telling, I think, is a powerful first step. And so I appreciate that reminder, Brian.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I, w- I would even say you know, an- another thing that everybody could do is you know, take, take that set of response emails or letters that they send out and look at how many times the word you is in them versus the word us. And make sure that then they are, in a sense, love letters to the donors, and just write or and rewrite them if necessary, so that the donor's always positioned as the one who is helping the organization achieve the goal, instead of the organization being the conduit) mm-hmm.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into Responsive Fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the Responsive Fundraising Blueprint which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is gonna be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit, and it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast.